So we're in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 2 tonight, Deuteronomy chapter 2, and the title is simply Remember. Remember. Uh, I, I truly believe that we should remember some things from our past, some things, you know, some things we can't help but to remember, but there are certain realities from our past that I don't think we should think about or that can be damaging um, to who we are in the present. And like when you dwell on uh, like an atrocious past sin that you committed, that's not something to, dw- uh, to dwell upon, to bring back up, to repunish yourself for. In Christ, we are free. We are totally forgiven for all the sins that we've committed in the past, even the ones that we don't remember. You know, sometimes we're like, I don't even know what I did back then. It was bad, but Lord, forgive me. He will. And if you repented, you're washed clean of those actions and you, you know, that you took against God. Well, he separates our sins. I love what the Bible says as far as the east is from the west, right? They never touch. Like he's faithful. He's just to forgive our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. After all, the Lord is still refining us, right? He's not done with us. And I'm reading this book right now, and I like it because the author is very honest in that the greatest place for him that the Lord refines him is in the grocery store. <laughs> That's where he, he said, I will, I'll be behind someone who have items that half of the items, the barcode's crumpled, and they cannot scan it. So they have to go get it. And then when they finally pay, they take out a checkbook, and all of a sudden, they forget the, the date. They forget their name. They forget how to write a check. <laughs> who do I make this out to, you know? And so... We all have those areas where the Lord chooses to work on our patience, our attitudes, our actions, our reactions. So, but we are forgiven, but the Lord is still working on us presently. God is at work. And so I would say don't dwell on past faults or sins that you've committed. The Lord doesn't hold those things against you. God isn't a blackmailer, right? And so, but there are some amazing benefits for remembering the ways in which God worked in your past situations. And I think most of you know this, like there's an encouragement in looking back to how God led you, helped you, lifted you up when you were down. And it's beneficial, especially to look back at how the Lord has delivered you and rescued you. So as we take a look at Deuteronomy chapter 2, Moses will be remembering and retelling, recounting the way in which the Lord worked in the lives of the children of Israel. Lots of lessons to be learned and encouragements to be had in the, in the present by looking at how God has moved in the past. So let's, we'll pray and then we'll get into chapter two of Deuteronomy tonight. Well, Heavenly Father, again, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the honor, the privilege, the blessing it is to get into your word, Lord. We just pray that your word will get into our hearts, Lord, be integrated into our lives and lived out through our actions, Lord. We thank you for this night. Thank you for the, uh, the blessing it is to assemble together. Lord, it's, it's good and it's pleasant, like Psalm 133 says. And so we just pray that you speak to us from your word right now. In Jesus' name, amen. So in the first 15 verses, Moses remembers places. Uh, so verses 1 to 7 of Deuteronomy 2 says, Then we turned and journeyed into the wilderness of the way of the Red Sea, as the Lord spoke to me, and we skirted Mount Seir for many days. And the Lord spoke to me, saying, you have skirted this mountain long enough, turn northward, uh, northward, and command the people, saying, you are about to pass through the territory of your brethren, the descendants of Esau, who live in Seir, and they will be afraid of you. Therefore, watch yourselves carefully. Do not meddle with them, for I will not give you any of their land, no, not so much as one footstep, because I have given Mount Seir to Esau as a possession, verse 6. You shall buy food from them with money that you may eat, and you shall also buy water from them with money that you may drink. 
For the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hand. He knows you're trudging through this great wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you. You have lacked nothing. And so remembering Edom, now this is a summary given from Numbers chapter 20 to 31, where the children of Israel went through these lands on the way to the promised land. And after 10 spies decided to let fear lead them, they journeyed south over the desert of Ti and through the great valley of Gore and Arabah. And during those 38 years, they kind of shifted from place to place to place, and they went north a second time to Kadesh, where they refused pass- They were refused passage through Edom, and they were oppressed by the, the Canaanites and the Malachites. So they were forced to travel back towards the Red Sea. They went through the mountains left of the Red Sea. They traveled eastward. I mean, the children of Israel, they were in the desert just traveling around in a chaotic pattern and not knowing where to go because they didn't listen to the Lord. And it's like now, to clarify, sometimes we do what the Lord tells us, and things are still difficult, right? But God uses those moments often to refine us and help us. But other times, we're in a trial because we refuse to listen to the Lord. Disobedience. We may feel trapped or confused or exhausted, lost in the desert because we said no to God. You know, fear leads to a way of life that leads really to nowhere, (laughs) to going in circles, And fear is not from the Father, we know that, and it needs to be thrown down, stomped on, left to die, right? Don't let fear in. Fear is from the enemy, and it leads to the halting of our faith so that, you know, we we don't do what God has called us to do. And I was thinking about this after my uh, bad car accident in 2022 in January. I had a concussion. It took a couple months to recover. And when uh, I first rode with my wife, I didn't think of anything of it. I was like, I rode in the van after like, I don't even know, a few weeks, a month. I'm not sure. But I, I was riding there, and I was like really freaking out in my head. I was like, I'm like shaking right now. And she like, I think she gave me like a piece of candy or a gum, piece of gum to like, get my mind off of the fact that I was in a car. Apparently it was traumatic, you know, and I don't know, I blacked out during the accident, but when I first rode with her, I was kind of freaking out. I was fearful. I sort of had to adapt to being in a car again, and it took a few weeks, honestly, and praying in the car, but I mean, now it's all good. But fear could, could have actually stopped me from riding in a car or driving in a car, but I, I kept riding in the car. I got used to it, and the fear, fear took off. Fear fled, right? And so the devil, he leaves those Christians alone who are not following the Lord. You know, they're in the dark, so they're, they're not an issue for the enemy. You know, it's actually a positive, it's actually a good thing to be an issue for the enemy because that means you are doing what God's calling you to do. And inactive, inactive Christians um, are, for the devil, are a waste of time. He won't spend any time on them, so he doesn't have to exert energy on backslidden or the complacent, Right. But the enemy goes after those who are actually in the middle of God's mission for them and are being obedient to the Lord. That's who he attacks. Attacks come to those who are, are fighting for the faith. So, so doing nothing, will leave, it'll leave you safe, right? Doing nothing for the Lord, but it'll also leave you miserable because you're outside of God's will. It's like, so the Jews, they were trapped. They were traveling in circles, you know, lost because they, they wouldn't say yes to God when he told them to take the land. And so the point is you guys hear God and heed God. And things may not be easy or perfect, but, you know, you won't be lost, confused, or wandering. So in the 38 years of wandering, there is no record of the Israelites observing a Passover or being obedient in all that the Lord commanded. 
What's cool, though, is that when the Israelites entered the promised land and settled, Joshua, Moses' successor, set up all these divine observances for the children of Israel so they can be obedient again, right? And so, remember, the first generation of the Israelites, they died out in the wilderness, except Moses, Joshua, and Caleb. And the second generation of Israelites, during the wilderness wandering, many would have been teenagers, you know, now, back then, so now at this time, 38 years later, uh, many would be like, they're like the OG guys. They're like in their 50s now. And so, so, like, so many of the second generation would have remembered what Moses was actually talking about here because they were young. They were teenagers at the time. So Moses was recounting these events to the second generation who were going to enter into the promised land. And it's, it's so healthy, I think, to, re- to remind one another how the Lord has worked in our lives. You know, our testimonies are a retelling of how God has moved and worked and changed our lives. And I, I think this is a powerful tool to use to open unbelievers' eyes, you know, concerning how the Lord is. But it also is an encouragement to Christians because we are reminded that the Lord is our Redeemer, our Rescuer, our, the one who restores. And so he's good, he's merciful, he's powerful, he's in control, he's amazing. So Moses was commanded to declare war on the people of Edom, and God wanted the children of Israel to take their land. And again, those things that God has promised us, you know, there's a time to wait for them, and there's also a time to take them. It all depends on God's timing. You know, God is, is he's perfectly punctual. You know, he's always on time. He's never late. He's, he's never early. His timing is impeccable. If we are too rash, we're going to get ahead of the Lord. If we're too slow, we're going to hesitate, and space will be created between us and him. It's kind of like Peter. Remember the New Testament, before he denied Jesus three times, it says that Peter followed him from afar. We didn't want to follow him from afar. God told Moses to take the land from the Edomites, but look how the Lord would have the Jews treat the Edomites. It says, you shall buy food for them with money, you shall also buy water. God wanted the Israelites to treat the Edomites with respect, with kindness, actually, and they could have just gone in and ransacked the land, but the Lord had a different way to deal with things. You know, I find that oftentimes the Lord has a different way to deal with things than us. And it's a lot, his ways are much higher and better than our ways, right? Isaiah 55. And so sometimes we're like, oh, that's a great idea. I'm going to do that. And the Lord's like, no, you shouldn't do that. You should do this. Oh, you're right. It's always better to listen to the way God wants us to deal with things. But our, our character is truly measured by the Lord when it comes to how we treat those who are weaker than ourselves. When given the chance, do we walk on people or do we, you know, do we reach down and lift them up? It's like, how do we treat others? It matters, I believe it matters so much to God. As you go in through his word, you'll see that. Moses, he tries at first to be nice to the Edomites, negotiate with them. And remember, the Edomites, they were descendants of Esau, the brother of uh, Jacob's brother, and so they were related to the Jews, Genesis 36. Edom didn't want to negotiate, so Moses led the people in a way that would bypass Mount Seir, where the Edomites were. And so so the Edomites, they could have shown love to the Israelites, but they perpetuated the quarrel that once existed, remember, between Jacob and Esau. Remember this quarrel? It was 400 years earlier. So one Edomite that was actually famous was named Herod the Great, you know, in the New Testament. Herod was hated by the Jews because he was an Edomite, even though Herod really, he wanted to be respected by the Jews. But after this point, hundreds of years later, we know biblically that the Edomites, they still hated the Israelites. 
Family quarrels started from the beginning, <laughs> right? So it's nothing new. If there's a family quarrel going on in your family, it's nothing new. It happened from the beginning. The word of God is filled with family fights. Cain, you know, killed his bro Abel, <laughs> right? Jacob and Esau, they were total rivals. Joseph's brothers hated him because his, he, you know, his dad favored him. King Saul, David's father-in-law, tried to kill David. And you go to the New Testament, you're like, well, there's no quarrels there. In the early church, there was. The Corinthian church was divided. The Galatian Christians were devouring one another. The believers in Ephesus, they were being unforgiving to one another. Uh, in the Philippian church, two women were fighting against each other. Like, whether it's immediate family fights or drama within the family of God, like, like this is a reality. You know, dramas, fights like this, they, they just suck. I mean, really, it's just, but they suck, but often they're part of life. We have to deal with them. We have to go through these things. And this is why we're called to be peacemakers, not troublemakers, right? If there's a quarrel with the family, it must be dealt with. If, if there's something, a quarrel that happens within the church, it should be dealt with rather than ignored. I think our era, this next generation is so different. It used to be that, I don't want generalizing, but it used to be that if you had an issue, well, just suppress it. Don't, don't say anything. Act like you got it all together. Don't talk about it. Pretend like it's not there. Let's just sweep it under the rug, continue on with our life, right? You know, act like it's all good, even when it's not. And, you know, this isn't the way God designed it. And, you know, as, as we've been going through the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see there's a way to deal with things, and it's not to just act like everything's fine. It's to pray it through, talk it through, so we can get through. Moses tried to curve the battles and be a peacemaker here, yet the Edomites, they weren't having it, so he traveled a different way. And what you know, what remembering verse 7 does is help the children of Israel be confident that the Lord will take care of his kids in verse 7. Again, the Lord God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He knows you're trudging through this great wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord your God has, has been with you. You've lacked nothing. <clears throat> so God blessed them, was with them, and they lacked nothing. It's important to recognize that every good and every perfect gift is from the Lord, like it says in James, and he's our provider, right? You guys know Jehovah Jireh, and, and one of the earliest times we see God provide for his kids, actually, is when Abraham took Isaac to be sacrificed, remember? Abraham's faith was tested. It was rock solid, and so, of course, the Lord didn't make Abraham sacrifice Isaac and on that pile of wood, who we know Isaac was a picture of Jesus' sacrifice, same place where Jesus was crucified. There's a whole, it's, it's pretty amazing when you look at the parallels. But the Lord provided a ram who was caught in the brush or the thickets, right? So God provided the sacrifice. So Abraham learned that God provides in every way. He provided his son to sacrifice, you know, Jesus to, so we'd be saved. He pr provides for us every single day. And I know you've seen his faithfulness because I've heard some of your stories and I've heard some of my friends who are Christians, their stories of getting down to their last dollar and the Lord just showed up. He provided in ways they didn't even think about. They didn't even know existed. But do we recognize the ways in which God comes through? I think it's healthy to look back and go, God has came, he, he came through in that situation when I was worried. I'm, gonna go th I'm going through the same situation right now, but this time I want to go through it without worry, without fear. I want to be confident in Christ. He's going to provide somehow. I don't see it now, but you know what? He always has provided. He always will provide. And so what happens? So he remembered Edom. Now in verses 8 to 15, he remembers Moab. In verse 8, we continue on, and it says, 
And when he, we passed beyond our brethren, the descendants of Esau who dwell in Seir, away from the road of the plain, away from Elath and Ezion-Geber, we turned and passed by the way of the wilderness to Moab. And then the Lord said to me, Do not harass Moab, nor contend with them in battle, for I will not give you any of their land as a possession, because I have given our to the descendants of Lot as a possession. The Emim had dwelt there in times past, a people as great and numerous and tall as the Anakim. They were also regarded as giants like the Anakim, but the Moabites called them Emim. So the Horites formerly dwelt in Seir, but the descendants of Esau dispossessed them and destroyed them from before them and dwelt in their place, just as Israel did to the land of their possession, which the Lord gave them. Verse 13, now rise and cross over the valley of Zered. So we crossed over the valley of Zered. And the time we took to come from Kadesh Barnea until we crossed over the valley of Zered was 38 years, until all the generation of the men of war was consumed from the midst of the camp, just as the Lord had sworn to them. For indeed, the hand of the Lord was against them to destroy them from the midst of the camp until they were consumed. So the Israelites passed through Moab. And remember, the Moabites were descendants of Lot, uh, nephew of Abraham. And just like Edom, God didn't want the Jews to be nasty to Moab, for their land was not the land God intended to give Israel. And remember, Ruth was a Moabite. She was a Moabite woman married to an Israelite man named Boaz. She became a great-grandmother of King David, right, making her one of the ancestors of the Messiah. But the Ammonites and the, and the Moabites didn't deserve any sort of cordial greeting from Moses, yet the Lord wanted him to deal with them with kindness, right? So that's grace. That's mercy. The Moabites were actually well-known because they defeated the Ammon in verse 10, a Canaanite people who were incredibly powerful. And the Hebrew word for giants in these verses is uh, rephaim. A better translation that, that grants that 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 uh, a better translation is fearsome ones, fearsome ones. So, the Rephaim they, they were a group of large, fierce, warlike people who were in Canaan before the Israelites, and the Moabites called them Emim. The Ammonites called them Zemzumim. So, um, so in these verses we just went over Moses. He was remembering, recalling, and recounting the thirty-eight years. Uh, 38 years of wilderness, desert wanderings. And again, there's not a lot recorded in regards to these four decades because the people were lost. They weren't obeying the Lord. So there was nothing worth recording, if you will. There was no record kept during this time. When, when we're not walking in God's will, there's nothing on record, if you will. <laughs> like, there's nothing of eternal significance. And the chief goal of life is, is to glorify God, to live, for, you know, to live to further his kingdom and to walk in his will. We can't do anything of eternal value when we're going the opposite way of the Lord, right? Now, now the stories like Jonah are recorded because even though he ran the opposite way, it was all to get him back on track to preach to people he didn't even like, he didn't even want to preach to. So will we get to our destination if we're traveling away from it? Most likely, no. You know, it's, it's like those movies where someone hitches a ride and the driver's going in the wrong direction and the passenger's like... Where are we going? Like, this is not the way to my house, right? And we know the way, you know, we know the way home, and this life is a preparation for our true home in heaven. You know, our, our dear sister Vicki entered into glory this morning at 2.30 a.m., and it was, it was such a blessing to be there yesterday morning. We were there for a few hours in the morning, and just, uh, Brian brought her guitar, we went in the room, and just the family was there, and then, and then our family, and we're just playing worship, you know, everyone was crying, but we were just praising God, and, 
And, you know, the next morning, early, she was, she's praising God now as we're, as we're here meeting together. No more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more problems. She's with her Savior, you know, pray, you know praising his name with, with her daughter. Jesus prepared a place for her, and she went to it. Her last breath, you know, uh, her last breath on, on earth was the first breath in heaven, if you will. And, and, and again, it was, it was awesome just getting together, saying bye to her. And, um, you know, it was, it was one last time to praise God here on this earth for her. You know, she, she, I know she was laying there, but I truly believe she heard it. But it's difficult down here. You know, we all have a future but th- though, as we follow Jesus. It's, it's hard. It's hard down here on the earth, right? Uh, you know, Paul says being with Jesus is far better. <laughs> we can all agree with that. But while we still have breath in our lungs, we're, we get to live for him right here on this earth, make an impact for eternity. While we're here, let's make sure we get in the center of God's plan for us. Not on the outskirts, not on the sidelines, not as spectators, but in the game, on the field, like actively. So in the first 15 verses, Moses remembers places, and now in the next 22 verses, Moses remembers people. In verses 16 to 23, he remembers the Ammonites. Uh, Verse 16, it says, So it was when all the men of war had finally perished, right, died from among the people, that the Lord spoke to me, saying, This day you are to cross over to Ar, or at Ar, the boundary of Moab, and when you come near the people of Ammon, do not harass them or meddle with them, for I will not give you any of the land of the people of Ammon as a possession, because I have given it to the descendants of Lot as a possession. That was also regarded as land of giants. Giants formerly dwelt there, but the Ammonites called them Zemzumim, a people as great and numerous and tall as the Anakim. But the Lord destroyed them before them, and they dispossessed them and dwelt in their place, just as he had done for the descendants of Esau, who dwelt in Seir, when he destroyed the uh, Horites from before them. They dispossessed them and dwell in their place even to this day. And the Avim, who dwell in villages as far as Gaza, uh, uh, the Kaphtorim, who came from Kaphtor, destroyed them and dwell in their place. And so this was actually a turning point for the children of Israel right here because the first generation, they were all dead, again, except for Moses, Joshua, and Caleb. Now that the disobedient ones were gone, Israel could look forward to defeating their enemies and entering into their inheritance, which was the promised land. See, disobedience to the Lord will stop the flow of God's blessings upon our lives. Disobedience will halt promises in our lives. We'll take the long way around rather, rather than God's way. And it's, it's, it's wild because people who don't know the Lord, they blame the Lord for all the bad things in their life. Like they won't have a second thought about the Lord, about Jesus, about the word of God. But when they go through something, they go, why God? And they, all the blame goes to him. It kind of reminds me uh, of Adam and Eve. I was just reading something this morning about that. And, um, you know, uh, God confronted Adam. And Adam blamed the wife, and the wife blamed the serpent. It was just like a blame game, right? No one wanted to take responsibility. But really, if we're not in line with the Lord, like why would we expect the blessings of God? I mean, the blessings still come, you know, in the form of his grace. You know, if if we fall and stumble, we're restored. Yeah, we're forgiven. But truly, our eyes are open when we follow his plan for us. Feelings, you know, feelings follow faith. You know, in other words, God may lead us a certain way, and at first, we don't like it. <laughs> we'll resist. We're like, I do not want to do that. I do not want to go there. I do not want to talk to that person. Whatever it is, right? It's just kind of like starts with, I do not want. And in other words, we, we may not desire to go in which the, 
Lord, the way in which the Lord leads. But as we obey him and go, then our desires start to change and conform to our creator's plan and his will. I mean, think about your life. It's like God leads you from season to season. Every season is different. Some seasons we want to cling to and be like, I love this season. I don't ever want it to change. You know, a lot of us don't like change. We're like, no, things are changing. And other times we're like, thank you, Lord. Get me out of here. I want, I want the next season to start, please. But the quicker we adhere to God's plan, the quicker our hearts and desires will line up with his plan. Disobedience to the Lord will, will if you will, it will short circuit the Lord's plan and make everything take a lot longer and be much more difficult. Because we didn't, you know, because we didn't simply obey him. It's just like if he says something, okay, Lord. Again, saying yes to the Lord. And I always think about this contrast ever since we've been going through the Old Testament. But when uh, God first called Moses, you know, I always say this, but I just can't get it in my mind. God's like, you know, Moses is like, send someone else. You know, you know God's like, well, I want you to do it. He's like, send someone else. And eventually God got his attention after three times of, you know, uh, of reminding him, like, you're the guy. But, but then Isaiah, right when there was a call out, who's going to go, who's going to do the work, Isaiah said, what, send me. He didn't say send someone else, he said send me. And, and he saw himself as unworthy. He, saw, he had the correct evaluation of himself, you know, a sinner needing the Lord, needing to be saved. And so it's, it's, it's as simple as saying yes to the Lord, but I understand sometimes it's very difficult because it doesn't look, the easy road looks like the world's way. The hard road looks like, uh, uh, looks like God's way. And we're like, that looks so much easier. But God knows best, doesn't he? It might be difficult going, starting out. Going, you might go through the valley a little bit, but then you know, his will opens up, and we're like, okay, Lord, I get it. This is exactly what I'm supposed to do. You know, um, think about all the times where you're wondering, what, what am I going through? Why am I going through this? Why am I facing this? And then later on down the line, whether it's like a month, a year, five years, you look back and you go, wow, Lord, you were so faithful during that time. I was like, I didn't know what was going on. I, would, my, you know, I felt like I was driving blind or something. I just like, it was crazy, Lord. But looking back, you go, I see the way in which he works. Oftentimes, we're in the midst of his mission and what he wants us to do. We're not really sure. But that's the adventure of the Christian life. It's the most difficult thing and the most blessed thing at the same time. Because we're trusting in something, and we don't know exactly how it's going to turn out. But we know if the Lord's leading it, it's going to turn out exactly how he wants it to turn out. And that's always the best scenario. <laughs> So now uh, Moses remembers the Amorite king. In verse 24, it says, Rise, take your journey, and cross over the river Arnon. Look, I have given into your hand Sihon the Amorite, king of Heshbon and his land. Begin to possess it and engage him in battle. This day I will begin to put the dread and fear of you upon the nations under the whole heaven who shall hear the report of you and shall tremble and be in anguish because of you. I just think this is cool because God works on both ends in a sense. Like if God wants us to talk to someone in the future, whether it's a family member, a stranger, an acquaintance, a co-worker, he will work on their heart. And he won't, it's not just us he works on. Sometimes we're so self-centered, we think he's just working on me, that's all. But he's working on them, he's working on us, and there's going to be an interaction. Oftentimes it's a divine appointment, and it's like, thank you for working on that heart and my heart. He works on both ends in order to have his will come to pass. It's just a beautiful thing. But in verse 26, it says, And I sent messengers from the wilderness of uh, Kedemoth to Sihon, king of Heshbon, with words of peace, saying, Let me pass through your land. I will keep strictly to the road, and I will turn neither to the right nor to the left. It sounds reasonable. 
You shall sell me food for money that I may eat and give me water for money that I may drink. Only let me pass through on foot, just as the descendants of Esau who dwelt in Seir and the Moabites who dwelt in Ar did for me, until I crossed the Jordan to the land which the Lord God is giving us. But Sihon, the king of Heshbon, would not let us pass through, for the Lord your God hardened his spirit and made his heart obstinate that he might deliver him into your hand as it is this day. And the Lord said to me, See, I have begun to give Sihon and his land over to you. Begin to possess it, that you may inherit his land. And then Sihon and all his people came out against us to fight at Jahaz. And the Lord our God delivered him over to us, so we defeated him, his sons, and all his people. We took all his cities at the time, and we utterly destroyed the men, women, the little ones of every city, and let nothing remain. And we took only the livestock as plunder for ourselves with the spoil of the cities which we took. From Meror which is on the bank of the river Arnon, and from the city that is in the ravine, as far as Gilead, there was not one city too strong for us. The Lord our God delivered all of us. Only you did not go near the land of the people of Ammon, anywhere along the river Jabbok, or the cities of the mountains, or wherever the Lord our God had forbidden us. So Israel, they had to fight to a, a battle with the king of Heshbon since he didn't let the Jews through. And you can find that in Numbers 21. And they asked for the passage, and the Amorites refused, and yet the Lord was working behind the scenes, and that's, that's what God does, right? Like, he works in mighty ways, and we often don't even know the ways in which God is working, yet he still is working and moving and doing his will as long as we're simply following him. You know, it's like when you see a nice house fully built. Most people don't normally think, most people, uh, some people will do, but most people don't think about all the work that went into it. Like digging up the, you know, uh, digging up, leveling the dirt, framing the foundation, digging all, you know, for all the pipes, getting all the tree roots out of there, you know, pouring the concrete, framing the house, getting the rebar, getting the electrical in there, getting the inspections, the drywall, on and on and on. There's so much work that goes into just building a house. And usually the person looking for the home sees the finished product and they decide if they want to live there or not. And none of, you know, none of us, the beautiful thing is none of us are finished products. <laughs> you know, God is doing heart work on us. And it, in many ways, we don't see the actual work being done. Some people might not, see, but they see the results. God is not done with you yet. You know, you're still alive, you're breathing, you're on this earth. He's working behind the scenes on our hearts, which is a good thing. But when it comes to the king here, God worked behind the scenes and hardened the spirit or the heart of the king of 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 this, these people. And you know how the Lord, you know, hardened the king's heart? Well, not by putting evil into his heart, but by letting the king engage in evil, he was already engaging in free will. He gave him up to his own ways. God let the king's heart take the evil way it wanted to take. And sometimes, if our children are not listening, I know that usually never happens, right? But, but if our children aren't listening, sometimes we have to let them learn the hard way. Right? We, we let them do you know, what we know they shouldn't do. They're probably going to get hurt and immediately, hopefully, learn their lesson. We can tell them all day long. We can tell them all day long, do not, <laughs> do not go near the stove. Like, Don't go near it. It's hot. It's on right now. But you know, after a while, it's just noise, right? They're just, they look at us, and they're spacing. I'm not really listening, right, until they go up, and they touch, and they, and they burn themselves, and they're like, 
they get it. <laughs> they get it, right? They, they learn their lesson. So God gave this king up to his own ways, kind of like Romans 1. God gave the people up to their own evil ways. He didn't make them evil. He let them do what they wanted to do. And so Sihon's heart was filled with malice towards Israel. It says that he might deliver him into your hands. So this, the king had this ungodly desire on his heart, and so the Lord allowed him to follow his own heart. And it's never a good thing to follow your own heart when the Lord is not leading your heart, right? People follow their hearts. They end up doing horrendous and horrible things. Now I was just following my heart. Now, if there's something on your heart, then, then it's good to ask the Lord for confirmation whether the thing is from him or not. So, you know, because of the hard heart of the king, the Amorites, they became the possession and inheritance of Israel. And I love that the Lord has grace, but also I love how the Lord is just. You know, he is righteous. He, he is right in all his ways, whether we fully agree with him or not. It really doesn't matter if we agree or not. It's the Lord's word. It really doesn't matter if we agree with him or not. He is God. He is going to do what he wills. And so in this retelling, you know, th these people group, they're supposed to be annihilated by Israel. And really what these battles show us is that we can't give an inch to the enemy, right? The flesh, the world, and the devil. Like if we willingly give the enemy a foothold, he will wedge his way into our lives and bring doubt and discouragement and defeat. The Bible says, resist the devil and he will what? Yeah, flee from you. The Bible says, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Yeah, the Bible says that all, you know, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the you know, lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the father, father and is passing away. So what do we do? We resist. We stand firm. We're, be steadfast. Be immovable. If we give into the enemies, these three enemies that we face on a regular basis, our faith will chip away little by little until pretty soon we're, we're transgressing, which means willingly sinning. The fall from grace or black, uh, backsliding, it doesn't happen all at once. It usually happens incrementally, little by little. A compromise here, a little disobedience there, crossing the line over here a little bit, a little bit, uh, I'm going to overextend my liberty, and now it's a little bit of sin, but it's okay. We justify things. But in verse 38, it says that there was not one city too strong for us. What's interesting is that this is also translated, there was not one city too high for us. The extremely high walls of the Canaanite cities completely freaked out the Israelite spies and was one major reason they didn't enter the promised land. So the second generation, they would enter the land. The Lord was, was showing them it, how it could have been if their parents had faith just to take the inheritance. Fear will stop you, right? Faith will propel you. Fear will stop you. Fear will, you know, cause idleness. Faith will cause proactiveness, taking action. Fear will bring timidity. Faith will bring triumph. Fear will cause anxiety. Faith will cause victory. You know, even if the children of Israel, they were fearful, which they were, they still could have said, you know what, we're afraid, yet the Lord is fighting our battles, let's go. You know, sometimes we wait until for every ounce of fear to be gone. Sometimes we have trepidation, but we do it anyway. If God says to do it, just go anyway. Even though they saw the, the opposition, they could have said, we see the great enemy, but we also know that our God is great and he's with us. So as Moses is remembering and retelling these true stories of what's happening in the past with the first generation, he's helping the second generation see the contrast between following self and following the Lord. Moses is remembering, he's retelling these things to, you know, to the people to equip them, to remind them who God is and what he's capable of. 
so that when they fight battles, they will fight in the strength of the Lord rather in the strength of self. You're never alone when you're in the midst of difficulties. Remember, God, you know, God got you through those battles in the past, and God will get you through those battles in the present and the future. He fights for us. We just follow him. He's leading the way. His timing is perfect. He goes before you, and he is a faithful equipper. Amen?